Welcome to Women and Manufacturing, where accomplished women interview accomplished women. Well, welcome to the Riveting Exchange podcast presented by Women in Manufacturing. My name is Andrea Olson, and I am one of your two co-hosts today. Uh, And really, we are here to talk about issues and challenges facing women in manufacturing and really provide some support and insight through hands-on experience. And my co-host today is Desiree Gray. Say hello. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever and whenever you are. Um, Today's podcast topic is learning to say no. And Andrea, you and I had a pretty robust conversation about this not too long ago. We did. We did. You know, it's funny because you think it's one of those simple things that you do every day, but we have all seen in our own lives and in business how many times women actually do the opposite and don't say no and take on too many things that can be overwhelming. Oh, absolutely. I think um, a lot of women want to lean in and are afraid to say no, thinking they may not get another opportunity to say yes. There might be a little bit of that superwoman syndrome for some of our listeners. And in general, um, I think women do want to be helpful and collaborate. So, it can be an adjustment in your way of thinking and your way of acting to learn when and why to say no and how to do it and who to say no to. So, um, you know, one of the things you and I talked about was to what are you saying yes to that maybe you shouldn't? And, um, one of the things we talked about was, is this a task or a role that is of low value. Right, right. And you it's brought up the concept. No, and you actually brought up a concept that I thought was really interesting that would bear um, expansion, which is, I love this, scope creep. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, we take on so many things because we see the need for them to get done. And the problem is, is that even though they might need to get, the, get done, it doesn't mean that we personally or our team has to take them on to make sure they get accomplished because it's that principle of scope creep. If anybody's ever managed a project, built something, whether it's a product, a website, a brochure, anything at all, you always get this continual feedback of people saying, okay, what about this? Or can we add that? Or can we change this? And there's a point where, let's say, we'll use the brochure example, a one- or two-page brochure turns into a catalog very quickly. And the problem with that is not so much of that these ideas weren't great. It's really a measure of what is essential to achieve the goal versus what's kind of a nice-to-have. And even if it's a good idea, it doesn't mean that it immediately adds value to that project. Just as saying yes to something doesn't immediately add value to you or your team. It can actually be distracting from the bigger strategy. Exactly. I think one of the things you need to look at is back to that idea of is this a high-value task or project? Is it a high-impact task or project? You know, um, a couple older tools or techniques in, in org behavior are um, the old Franklin Covey learning how to prioritize. And if you can prioritize the given 
projects that you're working on is A, B, or C, and always focus on getting the A projects done first, then you're having a clear sense of staying focused and spending your time where it's going to have the most value, which that kind of goes into the Pareto principle, which most of us know as the 80-20 rule. 80% of your customers, in, or excuse me, 20% of your customers impact 80% of your revenue, and about 20% of the activities on your to-do list each week are the ones that are going to have 80% of the impact on the organization. And one of the things that you need to look at when you're saying yes or saying no is that 80-20 rule. Is this that 20% that's going to have an 80% impact in some form or fashion on your department, your organization, or the organizational goals at large? You know, we never want to get sucked down the rabbit hole of only thinking about our departments, but it is important to distinguish between the tasks that you need to do and the tasks that you might like to do or that somebody potentially is offloading on you. Oh, com oh completely, completely, because I think we've all seen oftentimes men can be very good at strategically picking the projects they take on. So even if there's something that, let's say, a CEO says, hey, Steve, I'd like you to take a look at this, he'll know right then and there whether that's to his department's strategic advantage, if it's a distraction, and how that request ties to the bigger picture organizational strategy. Because they inherently know that it's not just about getting things done and saying yes because the CEO requests it. It's about having that strategic outlook of how does this play? What's the sense of urgency of this request? Does it impact something that we're already doing? Is it going to take one of my guys off the project he's doing, and then I'm not going to hit that deadline, and then the CEO is going to be even more upset? Because sometimes those requests come in, and people don't realize how they impact the complete project or the workflow that you have going in your department because they don't have that transparency. So just because it's request from somebody that's higher up or somebody that's even an equal peer doesn't mean that that is an order. It is simply a request, no matter how it's phrased. Absolutely. And if it's not a strategic project or a high-value project or you're solving a critical problem, it may be something that's tactical in nature that really isn't going to add a lot of value or have a lot of impact. So. If you feel as if a project is low value, or you feel as if there's not enough hours in a day, or you don't have someone you could delegate it to, then you may need to think about tactful ways to say no. So mm -hmm. for example, you know, to your point, which is great, if the CEO says, hey, I would like this to get done, ask what are the priorities? Ask what other projects or tasks should go on the back burner. You know, maybe, you know, depending upon the personality of the CEO or the supervisor, you may need to help them focus. You know, it may be a case of, hey, Bob, you told us that our priority in Q1 was to start the year off strong with sales. This mm -hmm. particular project doesn't help the sales initiative should we possibly, you know, move this out to Q2? You know, that's a very tactful way 
to get buy-in to maybe not take that task on or not take that task on now. And, you know, oh, there's completely. others. Yeah, and there's other things you can do as well. Um, if you've ever noticed male colleagues, they don't raise their hand and volunteer for everything. Right. You know, so and they have an, also a very good technique in regards to responding to that question that you brought up. You know, if, if that CEO has that request, oftentimes if you, if you take the time to observe your male colleagues and you'll see them say, you know what, yeah, okay, we'll look into that. We'll look into that is somewhat of – it's a yes, it's, it's a no, it's just an innocuous response that isn't a negative, that doesn't say I don't have time, doesn't mean devalues the request, but it buys them time. Buys them time to think about the request, evaluate the request, and not make a decision on the spot in front of the CEO. Why would you ever put yourself in a position not knowing the scope of the request, how much time it's going to take, do you have resources to implement it? And then you can come back that next meeting and say, oh, hey, yeah, we did look into that. That's going to take this much time and this much money, and you know, we're going to be able to start on that in about 30 days. Is that good? And the difference is, is that you planned it, you're driving it, you've clearly thought it through, and now they have a framework of when it could be done and what it's impacting without trying to do it off the cuff. And, you know, that brings up a good point. When you talk about your brand and the reputation you're building for yourself within the organization, and this could be a nonprofit as well as a for-profit, if you're building a reputation as someone that hits the pause button and goes and does their homework and their research before committing, you're really building your own personal credibility when you do that. And, you know, you're absolutely right. There is no reason that you have to say yes now. You can say, that's interesting. You can listen and nod. You can commit to looking into it and getting back later. Those are all tactful ways to maybe not say no, but certainly not say yes and back yourself into a corner. We never want to set ourselves up to fail. We want to set ourselves up to succeed. Exactly. Exactly. So it's about getting over that fear and intimidation of a request from someone else that's your equal or higher than you. They are a person with a job just like you. And I think most people can read between the lines between a boss that's, you know, maybe a little idiosyncratic, right? And they might be a little vocal. And you'll know what those hot buttons are of the things that you go, well, I can't say no to that. I know I can't say no but you'll have control of all of the other things because you don't want to be the person that got the most stuff done. You want to be the person that tied all the organizational investments, especially within your department, to the bigger vision and strategy that the organization is trying to reach because otherwise you've positioned yourself as basically the doer, the person that gets all the downstream stuff from the other leaders in the organization that then kick that can down the road, and you're kind of stuck with that burden. And that's women do that all the time. We do it in our own home lives where we take on more and we take the responsibility uh, of the children and the dog and et cetera, et cetera. 
and then we feel overwhelmed because we don't say no and we don't effectively delegate oftentimes because there is that innate mentality of feeling, well, it's not going to get done unless I do it. And that's fine to have at home. If you feel really fulfilled and you feel driven to do that, that's wonderful. But keep in mind that in a business environment, you are not a business wife. You don't want to position yourself as a work wife in an organization because you will always then be the wife, and stereotypically, that's the one that just picks up all the pieces and buttons up all the little things. They're not leading the organization. Absolutely, and that is where it's critical, probably more so for women than for men, because of those stereotypes, and I hate that term, work-wife. Yeah. You need to, yeah, I mean, you need to manage expectations. And Right. You know, it's I mean, it's none of us have a work husband, do we? <laughs> Unfortunately, we no. <laughs> no, that's not a term that, that I hear batted around. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's really critical. If you're going to say no to certain things or, here's the other one, don't start something. So don't be the person in the office that brings coffee, brings cookies, plans the parties. Try to stay away from all those stereotypical female roles. I mean, I've noticed when I've taught students, if I have a group with three guys and one woman, I guarantee you the woman is always the one, unless she puts her foot down and says no, that ends up pulling the project together and wrapping it up at 2 a.m. the night before and making sure the font on everybody's contribution matches. Oh, yeah. Don't do it. That's an intern job. It's not a gender. It's it's a hierarchy and role and skill set. That's not her job. That's definitely not her job. Just looking at roles alone, that's not her job. That's something that needs to be delegated to someone else. Absolutely. And maybe delegating is going to be a development opportunity for someone else. Whether that junior member is male or female is irrelevant But if there is, you know, maybe there is um, a conference to be planned and some entertainment needs to be arranged and you have a junior colleague, maybe it's a good opportunity for that guy to get to know some of the other people on the team, find out what they like to do so he can pick the appropriate entertainment venue for the second night of the conference. Exactly. Hypothetically. Right, right. And there's no reason why those types of decisions – can't be made at that level because I think sometimes women also lose track of not the difference between the stuff that needs to be done and their role in the organization. And everyone has a value. So if you think of what's the hourly value of a CEO, what's the hourly value of a vice president or a director? And if you think about something like making sure the fonts are the same on all these PowerPoints, you would never pay a third party to do that for $150 an hour. You would never do that. So you have to think about the value of the activity and who is most suited for in the organization, not only by role, but by skill set. So knowing your role and living your role is incredibly important and having the confidence to stick with that. Oh, I couldn't agree more. You know, you have to demonstrate an ability to manage yourself 
manage your priorities and essentially keep the respect of your coworkers. So you have to get comfortable saying no in a polite, professional manner and, you know, know what your boundaries are and be consistent. People will figure out by the second or third time that, well, Andrea is not going to be the person to bring in coffee or donuts. She's usually in here early dealing with uh, client opportunities. So if we need someone to be the donuts and coffee person, it's not going to be her because she never says yes to that particular task. Mm-hmm. And they'll figure it out. Oh, yeah. You know, when you know, I, was, uh, I was in my past life uh, the only female in a C-suite. And mm-hmm. by default, there would be times where um, walk into a meeting, we're all there about the same time, and maybe a colleague or someone else in the room said to me, oh, hey, could, could you grab some coffee for everyone? Now, to take it as an innocuous thing, I could say no, but there was a difference in how do you approach that. So I said, sure, I will get the executive assistant to take care of that. Excellent. So I now around the corner and said, hey, hey, Tina, uh, everybody in here needs some coffee if you wouldn't mind helping out and grabbing that. So there's a way to get around it, right? Because then I'm not personally the one who said no. You know, I'm offended because you asked me to get coffee. It was, hey, no problem. I'm going to get the right person on the job for this. It's not my job. And subtly saying that it's not my job. Exactly. And, you know, if there isn't an executive assistant available, a tactful way could be, I'll get it this time. Bob, you get it next time. Right. And lay the groundwork for a little parody and a little equitable turn-taking where, all right, fine, I'll get the coffee today. You're on the docket to get it tomorrow. Whatever that routine is, um, it's not a problem if everybody's taking their turn and doing their fair share. But you may need to tee it up for them that way. So, again, you're not starting something that you're going to get stuck with in perpetuity that's going to undermine your credibility in the organization. Right. Or even and make it kind of a, a lighthearted thing, you know, something oh, yeah. where you're not really formally coming to agreement, but you say, oh, Bob, you know, you can get the coffee, Bob. I'll take two sugars with mine. Ha ha. You know, um, and, and sometimes those types of things kind of neutralize it because, you're making light of it. You're saying no, but you're not just bluntly saying no. You're trying to let them understand the perspective and the message they're sending with their actions. Yeah, I mean, a little humor, a little levity, you can do it in a, a straightforward manner and get your point across. In no way, shape, or form are we advocating that you be um, nasty or disrespectful, or or anything other than friendly and professional about this. Exactly. You do want to set those boundaries. And, you know, the other thing you can do, look around you, whether it's male or female, if there are more experienced peers in the room, look at how they handle it. Right. See what example they're setting. Yeah, that will give you some cues as to what's appropriate or not as well. 
So um, that can help you with the appropriate ways to say no because you do need to ensure that you manage your workload as, as well as don't be the work wife, don't be the subordinate. And to the point you made earlier, Andrea, you, you also don't want to be the helicopter boss. You don't want to do everything mm. for the people that work for you either. So let's talk about that for a minute. What if a subordinate comes to you and says, hey, I need help? You, you know, that's another I, I think case. that's a great point. That's a great point because what you need to do as a leader is understand if you have anybody reporting to you, you're a leader. If you have peers and you don't have someone reporting to you, you still can be a leader. And a leader truly empowers others. They're not doing it for them. They're not, to your point, being a helicopter parent and saying, let me take care of that for you. It's helping them do it and teaching them how to do it so they can do it on their own moving forward. So, again, it's, it's how do you say no. It's not so much a no. It's how do you help them do it on their own. Because if you don't do that, you will continue to start getting overwhelmed with small things. If someone, and I've, I'm sure you felt this too, where someone says, hey, I've had even sales guys, and I'm sure you've had this too, where I had a sales team that I was managing, and they were going to review some of the materials they put together, and they said, oh, you know what? I'm not really that good at PowerPoint. Can you, know, you or the marketing department clean this up for me? Right. Well, that's something that could repeat itself through 25 different sales guys. So is it about doing them a favor and saying, oh, I know I can do it. It takes me five minutes. It's nice. No. It's how can you empower him? Does he need a PowerPoint class? Does he need a template? And can then everyone in that team use those same tools? Because now that's replicatable. So it's not picking on these types of projects. It's finding a way to say no, but without bluntly saying no. Well, and you bring up a good point. Is this a gap in the organization's skill set that training would make it repeatable and scalable and no longer a gap in skill set? Or is it a case where it's just professional development for one individual? And, you know, people are creatures of habit. You may have someone on your team that is used to going to the boss for help. The boss does it for them, but then they never figure out how to do it on their own. So you are, to your point, setting yourself up. The other thing you could do is you could teach people to start thinking of ways to overcome problems by asking them questions and then sitting back and waiting for them to provide the answer. So, you know, that's probably a subject for another day, but saying no to people that report to you, saying no to peers, and saying no to people further up the food chain it may seem incredibly intimidating to do it the first time, but like any other muscle, like any other task, the more you do it, the better you will get at it. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's that, you know, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And they've done studies saying that the hardest thing to do is not a project. It's not to complete something. It's not to say, Hey, I want to lose 30 pounds. It's the first day. It's the first 15 minutes. It's the first hour. 
it's starting something. And sometimes fear of change or fear of losing momentum, fear of losing control. Because when we take on all these projects ourselves, that's a high level of control, right? We know the outcome. We know it's going to be right. We know there's going to be no fires that we have to deal with. So, oh, you know what? That's going to not stress me out. I know it will be done right. But yet it's not sustainable, and it's not helpful for the organization when you're the one making diving catches because you can't say no. And, you know, one way to think about it is if I say no to this, what's the worst thing that could happen? If the worst thing that could happen is your boss says, no, I'm serious, I need you to do this, and I need you to do this now, then your comeback may be, okay, fine, what day do you need it done by, and what do you want me to make lower priority? You tell me, and I'll make it happen. Right. Exactly. So I, sometimes it helps to if you're if you're a personality type that is um, conflict averse, and maybe mm. that's why you have a tendency to not say no. The going back to either don't say anything, maybe just smile and nod. I understand, or right. agree. Yeah, agree, but then follow up with what do you want me to move lower on the priority list? That way you're putting the decision back on, and this would be specific to dealing with the supervisor, but you're putting the decision back on the CEO or your boss and saying, okay, you want me to do this. I did a soft no. You said you need it done. Then I need your direction on what I'm going to take off my plate. And that right. can work too. You know, and, and maybe to that question, what if, and, and I think I'm sure some of our listeners would have this question, if you have a boss that you say, okay, tell me how you want me to prioritize these things. Right. You know, is this now number one? And they say, you know what, I want you to find a way to get them all done. How, how do you reconcile that? Well, you know, one thought, if you're an hourly employee or if you've got a team of hourly employees, is to say, well, it's going to require overtime. Right. Sometimes, depending on the financial situation and the business model of the organization, that might give pause. That might not give pause. But sometimes if you can put things in financial terms, such as, all right, to get this done, it's going to require three of us to work overtime. I may be salaried, but maybe my people aren't. So that may give pause. Mm -hmm. Or you may ask to push out the deadline. Hey, Bob, if you want this done thoroughly, we're not going to be able to pull it together by this Friday, but we can pull it together by next Friday. Right. Compromise. There's nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. And, you know, that is the way of the business world. Sometimes you take turns. Sometimes you compromise. Sometimes you do stay up till 2 a.m. But, oh, sure. Um, you know, it is critical to manage expectations and learn how and when to say no. Um, any final thoughts on the topic? You know, I would say the one thing to add to that is utilize the resources around you. Just because you're assigned to a a project, a job, a task, 
doesn't mean that there are other departments, people, uh, resources in the organization that you can then leverage to say, hey, I need your help with this. And then in turn, downstream, hey, I will help you in the future, or hey, you know, what can I do for you uh, to help you overcome something that you're challenged with? So it doesn't have to be taken on as, as a one-man project or a one-department project, but leverage the resources around you and be smart about it. You know, that's a really good point. And again, not to get too far off topic, but I do think that's why it's important to have a bank account at work. And what I mean by that is if you make deposits, then you are in a position to make withdrawals. So for those times where you do say yes to your boss and you pull an all-nighter and you make miracles happen, that gives you the right at another point in time to say no. But with regards to those other departments, you know, maybe you need help from finance or maybe you need help from engineering. If you've helped them, then that gives you a right to ask them for help. So thinking in terms of the quid pro quo that occurs at work, if you did somebody a solid, it's not necessarily a bad thing to remind them. You could say, hey, Bill, you remember last summer when I helped you pull together uh, that set of drawings for a customer specification last minute? Hey, the CEO has asked me to pull together a forecast. I'm going to need you to pull some of your field sales engineers about what kind of uh, complaints they're getting so we know the impact. You know, whatever the scenario may be, I'm not right. saying you keep score, but you make deposits so that you're in a position to make withdrawals. Exactly. Exactly. Because then you don't have to go, oh, man, I need to do this project. Now I need to do this other one. It's not, you're not on an island. It's how can you be strategically smart about making something happen without killing yourself over it? Of course, because we are not super women. <laughs> no, we're not, even though we think we are sometimes. Uh, we all want to be anyway, but um, sure that's neither real. But, you know, that's about as realistic as being a supermodel, right? Right. It's so, not something you can just simply will yourself to do. No. Um, So as always, we hope uh, this podcast of Riveting Exchanges has been helpful, useful, and of value to our listeners. Our next topic is the do's and don'ts of delegation. So we're going to continue on this theme of um, not being superwoman. And our next monthly podcast, we'll talk about ways to delegate effectively And in conjunction with that, possibly help develop others. We appreciate everybody listening. And until then, be well, and we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to Women and Manufacturing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.